If you're going to disrespect New Orleans Saints defensive end Cameron Jordan, you might as well be honest about it. We got all of that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdet Nation and Houdet family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much, as always, for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. To all you everydayers out there, don't forget you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, if you want to keep the conversation going one-on-one with me, as well as partake in our exclusive subtext Q&As and film studies, you can head over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on saints. As always, I'm your host, Ross Jackson at Ross Jackson. Nola on Twitter, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media, senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. You can also find me every Tuesday on the Locked on NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday and then some on Locked on Saints. On today's episode of Locked on Saints, we're going to take a look at the Saints defense for the most part in today's show, although we have a couple of little things here in that. We do bring that land yap as we promised, uh, but we're going to take a look at the Saints safeties and why they're integral to the New Orleans Saints success, particularly on the defensive side in 2023. Let's take a look at Demario Davis's off-ball linebacker ranking, ranked highly, and I think he absolutely deserves that. But first, I want to discuss Cam Jordan's edge rusher ranking that he was given by ESPN, because as I mentioned in the opening there, if you're going to disrespect the guy, you might as well do it honestly. And I don't think that ESPN did that. I think that ESPN cut a corner that they shouldn't be cutting. And this is the issue when we decide to designate players in specific ways based on their roles and responsibilities. However, we're only choosing to do it in ways that are most comfortable, not in all the ways that it should be done. You can't cut corners if you're going to do this. And one of the things that ESPN does here in their top 10 position rankings is that they pull edge rushers out of the conversation while leaving off-ball linebackers as their own designation without also designating defensive ends as a separate position group. This is a big issue amongst draft nicks as well, folks that are constantly bringing you great information on Twitter and other social media platforms, and of course, all the scouting pages and things like that, even our guys over at Locked On Fantasy Football. Uh, excuse, fantasy football. Who am I? Locked on uh, uh, Locked on NFL Draft with Damian Parson and Keith Sanchez. They have to sort of make this delineation as well. Who are the edge rushers versus who are the edge defenders versus who are the off-ball linebackers? So let's break this down a little bit further so that you understand why I look at this as kind of a dishonest look at Cam Jordan. Um, Cam Jordan was not ranked within the top ten edge rushers in the NFL. He was ranked as an honorable mention. In fact, he was actually the last honorable mention on the list. And as a part of that honorable mention blurb, they credited him for being 12th in run stop percentage and all the things that he does as an edge defender. And if you're going to go that far as to rank him highly enough to be somebody that's at least mentioned in the conversation based upon not only what he does as a pass rusher with eight and a half sacks last year and at least seven and a half sacks every single season since 2012, hello, uh, but also discuss what he can do in the run stop game, then create something that celebrates the run stoppers and create something that celebrates the defensive ends of a traditional sense as opposed to just the edge rushers. The thing about the edge rusher spot and the thing that frustrates me so much with this 
is that the reason why the edge rusher spot was kind of created is because of what it ha- what was happening to linebackers in those conversations. There's effectively two, although much more, but in terms of like media conversation around the linebacker position, there's effectively two ways to discuss linebackers, on ball, off ball. Again, that doesn't cover every base, every base, but we're just looking at this from a super fundamental standpoint because that's what they're doing as well. So you have the on ball guys who are a little bit more of the like run stop first, but mostly you consider the on ball linebacker a pass rusher. So the idea of edge rusher has kind of picked up a lot of steam amongst conversation as a delineator between the guys that drop back in coverage and the guys that rush the passer. And so now if you're a defensive end and you don't get the additional delineation of defensive end or edge defender, you're now competing in these rankings with not only all of the defensive ends around the NFL, but pass rush based linebackers, pass rush focused linebackers like the Micah Parsons of the world who carry the LB designation, even though they effectively line up as a defensive end 90 something percent of snaps. And so when you look at the fact that they broke out, that they break out edge rusher, but then maintain off-ball linebacker as its own focus, which is the right choice, we should be doing the same thing when it comes to edge defenders and defensive ends. We should be breaking out the edge rushers and then looking at the guys that play a more holistic game based on the scheme that they're a part of. And that is why I say that Cam Jordan is absolutely a top 10 defensive end in the NFL when we're talking about defensive ends in the right context, which this list does not take into account. Being a defensive end is about more than just being a pass rusher. It's about being a run stopper. And he was one of the best and has consistently been one of the best run stopping defensive ends in the NFL was certainly at the top of the team here in New Orleans, along with Carl Granderson, who also graded highly in that same way. And this is one of the reasons why people don't talk about Carl Granderson's growth the way that we should be talking about Carl Granderson's growth, because part of his growth was in the run game, which makes him a first, second, third, fourth down defensive end. And this is one of the things that Cam Jordan highlighted in a tweet on his own in regards to this list that, hey, shouldn't I be ranked a little bit more highly if we're looking at guys like defensive ends and edge defenders who play a more holistic game and who can be on the field in every single game situation, down, distance, whatever. That's who Cam Jordan is. And that's why I think of him as a top 10 defensive end. Yeah. Is he one of the guys that can go out there and that is going to rack up, you know, 15 sacks in a season? those days might not be what he has to do anymore. And that's okay because he shouldn't have to have to do that anymore at this point. But he is a guy that goes out there and plays X amount of snaps every day in every single situation, every single week. This is also the guy that has only missed two games in his entire career due to injury or illness because we have to consider the COVID uh, absence a little bit differently than being an injury absence. And by the way, that injury was a fractured freaking orbital bone that they effectively had to fight to keep him off the field for and that he had already basically played an entire game with in Pittsburgh because it happened like the first defensive drive on the field. So if we're going to be disrespectful to players and if we're not going to rank them with the right rankings and if we're not going to look at them honestly, then let's at least do it in a way that makes sense. And if we're going to pull out edge rusher, then we should, just like we celebrate the off-ball guys, the coverage linebackers, we should come up with some type of a delineation, whether it be edge defender, defensive end, whatever it is we want to call it that makes everybody happy. We should do that for the guys that play the more holistic game and are on the field first down, second down, third down, and fourth down when needed. That's why Cameron Jordan is, without question, a top 10 defensive end in the NFL because there aren't a lot of players you can rely on to do what Cam Jordan does consistently and uh, you know to the the highest standard 
each and every weekend. Those guys don't exist, but Cam Jordan does. Coming up next, while Cam Jordan's ranking is one that I hotly contest, Demario Davis's ranks highly, and he absolutely deserves it because he has still been one of the best off-ball linebackers in the NFL, especially since arriving to this system in New Orleans. Let's talk about why that all changed and what makes Demario Davis so special as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by our friends over at Bird Dogs, the absolute best in athleisure attire. Everything you love about Lululemon, but with a much better fit and much more affordable prices as well. I've got three pairs of shorts as well as a pair of joggers that I try to wear pretty often. I absolutely love these. I am a short inseam guy. I love my hoochie daddy shorts and Bird Dogs hooks me up every single time. But even if you want the longer ones, they come down to the knee or beyond. They can get you taken care of there too. You effectively get to customize your own pair of pants. You want the stretch khakis that look like khakis, but that aren't actually khakis and fit nice and snug and all that. They got you covered. You want some of the running shorts that come up above the knee, keep you nice and graceful, aerodynamic. They got you on that too. If you're looking for something that just looks a little bit more stylish, comes down a little bit further, you want the liners, don't want the liners. Those are all the options and more that you can get over at birddogs.com every single day. And today, if you head over to birddogs.com slash locked on NFL or into the promo code locked on NFL, you're going to get a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on NFL or promo code locked on NFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler, and then you'll be just like me, not wanting to take those bird dogs off. We promise you that. All right, family. Continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks again, as always, to all you everydayers out there, making us your first listen every single day here on the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, I want to take a look now at the ranking that was given to Demario Davis on ESPN's top 10 off-ball linebacker list. Again, if you have the off-ball linebacker list, you might as well have the defensive end list. But, you know, I spoke my piece. I spoke my piece. Um, Demario Davis comes in on this list at number six. So he ranks highly. He ranks as the you know top six out of 32 plus, right? You could probably consider it two, so 64, right, for every team probably. Uh, guys that do what it is that similar to what Demario Davis's responsibilities are. Uh, and I think that that works really well. Uh, number one on the list was Fred Warner out of San Francisco. I don't think there's much arguing that. Roquan Smith came in at two, followed by Tremaine Edmonds, uh, Matt Milano, and Devin White. So all very good linebackers up up ahead of Demario Davis. But the funny thing about the Demario Davis ranking is, listen to this. Um, we've got Fred Warner, 26 years old. Roquan Smith, 26 years old. Tremaine Edmonds, 25 years old. Matt Milano, 28. And then Devin White, 25. Demario Davis, 34 years old. You want to know what makes Demario Davis so darn special? It's the fact that he is still this good at 34 years old. He is nearly 10 years. He is nearly a decade the elder of some of the players on this list. Sorry, Demario. Didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> I'm not saying it to be mean like that. I promise. I'm just highlighting how special you are, my dude, because this is wild. Another 100, uh, 100 tackle season. This fourth consecutive with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, six and a half sacks in 2022. That was a career high for him, despite the fact that he was actually deployed as a pass rusher less in 2022 than he had been in any of the other seasons with New Orleans. Tells you something. The efficiency is there. And efficiency is exactly the word that highlights what makes Demario Davis so special. No wasted movements. He understands how to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. He anticipates, he reads, he reacts, he does all of it without having 
the elite speed of a 25-year-old, the elite speed of a 26-year-old. This guy's got the elite speed of a 34-year-old. Here I say it at 33, but I ain't got no elite speed. I barely got elite anything. I barely got speed. This dude has been incredible, remarkable. Every single year that he's been in New Orleans, he has completely revolutionized A, defense in New Orleans, and B, the linebacker position in New Orleans. Much like Jabari Greer mentioned not too long ago when he was inducted into the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame, the Team Hall of Fame, Franchise Hall of Fame, um, New Orleans was not a place at one time that DBs went to get better. New Orleans was not a place at a time to where DBs went and expected to shine. You could specific, you could particularly say that about the linebacker role in terms of like the late 90s into the 2000s, once we were past the Dome Patrol, of course. Now that's changed. Demario Davis has revolutionized, revitalized the outlook on the position. And, and Dennis Allen did a lot of great work with that too. Don't get me wrong. Michael Hodges before that, Mike Nolan. These guys have all done remarkable work at linebacker. But a guy like Demario Davis, who has not only excelled, but it, but consistently excelled year in and year out since being here in New Orleans has done that. Now you've got guys like Pete Warner, Pete Warner, uh, Pete Warner. Uh, I don't know why that was so hard for me to say, because I was trying to say Fred, trying to say Pete Warner, but make sure I wasn't mixing it up with Fred Warner. Leave me be. Um, young guys like, you know, what even Quan Alexander showing up, having a, a, a solid season. Caden Ellis took off last year. The Saints are trying to see what they've got in Zach Bond. DeMarco Jackson looks like he has a bright future ahead of him. All that. Demario Davis is a big part of that, big part of the reason why not only it's attractive to be a linebacker in New Orleans now, but he's part of the reason why the other linebackers around him are so good because he, just like Michael Hodges, are great coaches. They're great teachers. They're great influencers. So Demario Davis goes out there and not only is good, not only is better, he makes the guys around him on the unit better. It's like the Jonathan Vilma effect. And maybe, that, maybe that's a place where we have the exception about the early 2000s and the New Orleans Saints being a destination or a landmark for linebackers. Let me give Jonathan Vilma his credit. He deserves that. But we think about the, the Tracy Porter pick six all the time against the Indianapolis Colts in the Super Bowl, one of the highlight plays of any New Orleans Saints fan's life, along with rebirth and a couple of, and of course, the, uh, the field goal that sent them there by Garrett Hartley. But the, before that play starts, what happens? Jonathan Vilma literally physically adjusts Tracy Porter. He adjusts the defense, calls the shots, makes the adjustment, and then boom, pick six to the house. Point, point, point. That is the, to me, the highlight, the trademark of a great linebacker. Not only is your game good, but you make the other games better around you. And that's one of the things that I think Demario Davis has done so remarkably well. So we can look at the stat sheet all we want. Over 100, uh, over 100 tackles in each of the last four years. Six and a half sacks is a career high. He has, uh, he's 12th right now on the New Orleans Saints all-time list of passes defensed. He's the second non-DB on that list. By the way, number one in terms of non-DBs on that list is Cam Jordan. Stop playing with his name. And he's number four on the franchise list, by the way. And he's one of the highest amongst all defensive linemen that are active right now. Let me slow down. Demario Davis is special, and he deserves this ranking. The guys that come in after him, uh, Shaq Leonard, uh, Nick Bolton, who I loved in the draft, uh, CJ Mosley, 
and Dre Greenlaw. And then there's a few honorable mentions in there too. But here's Demario Davis at 34 years old being named higher than guys like Bobby Wagner, Levante David, uh, Logan Wilson, Patrick Queen, who a lot of New Orleans Saints fans love, and, and others, CJ Mosley. So it's great to see. It's cool to see. Um, the other thing that I'll mention that I think makes Demario Davis so special when he's out on the field, I, I talked about efficiency earlier and, and no wasted movements. This is a guy that understands his angles, that understands how to make the best play or the highest percentage play on every single rep. And I think that is the type of above the shoulders football intelligence that's not really quantifiable. You kind of have to see that on film. You kind of have to see that in action and everything. But the way that he recognizes screens, the way that he, um, uh, uh, I don't want to there's a phrase I was going to use that I don't feel like using today. Um, but the way that he like destroys the, the line of scrimmage to, to get into the backfield, things like that. The way that he makes plays over the middle of the field, the way that he recognizes um, pat, you know, his pattern recognition for uh, routes being run and all those things. All of these things are stuff that you just kind of have to watch happen. And, and sometimes you don't even know what it is, but you can see it's like the eye test of football, right? You can see it happen and you go, oh, wow, you know? Because every linebacker's first responsibility is to play the run. So in essence, on every passing play, they're recovering. And that's one of the reasons why I think a linebacker is one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL outside of maybe DT or, of course, cornerback where you put on an island all the time. But I think that linebacker is one of the hardest positions because you're almost always reacting as opposed to the ability to have foresight. That's different with Demario Davis. Demario Davis has that Troy Polamalu in him. To where he's not really reacting to things that are on the field. He's anticipating everything that's on the field. And that's what happens when you're able to combine the intelligence, the athleticism, as well as the experience, which is really what comes to value at 34 years old, is that he's seen it. He's seen it. And I think that those are the things that also help to make Demario Davis so special. So shout out to Demario for his number six ranking. Absolutely deserved. Uh, the safety rankings haven't come out yet. Those are a couple of days down the road. However, I want to speak safety for a little while because I think that. The combination of Tyron Matthew and Marcus May are going to be integral to the New Orleans Saints defensive success in 2023. Let's discuss why as we continue on to wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Right now, especially for small businesses, the stakes of hiring could not be higher. And so you want to make sure that you're 100% certain of any of those moves that you make who you add to your team, how they benefit your team, how they can continue to grow and maybe be an even larger part of your team, all that. And that's why more small businesses are turning to LinkedIn jobs over any other competing platforms because you're going to be able to use things like screening questions and uh, hashtag hiring frames to help spread the word about the job that you have open. And those screening questions make to help to make sure that all of the candidates have the requisite experience that you're looking for to be able to immediately be a benefit and asset to your team. So you're not teaching people how to mop the floors, right? You can get straight to it. So LinkedIn Jobs is going to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. And here's the key for free. So you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get it. Who that nation wrapping up today's episode of locked on saints with a look at the new Orleans saints safeties over on the defensive side and how they're integral to the Saints' success. And I'm really going to focus a lot on Tyron Matthew here 
because we saw over a thousand snaps of Tyron Matthew. We got to see a lot more Tyron Matthew than we got to see of Marcus May. But do understand that the, 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 the tandem of safeties is really important for the New Orleans Saints. I will take you back to a day in which the New Orleans Saints did not have good safety play. We can call it 2014. We can call it 2015. We can call it 2016. You know what it looks like. You know why it's bad. And the New Orleans Saints should not and very likely will not have anything near that level of issues on the back end as long as Marcus May and Tyron Matthew are out on the field. That's how confident I am about this safety tandem. There's a lot of folks that gave both Marcus May and Tyron Matthew a lot of grief. And we're not going to lie here. They struggled early on. Tyron Matthew missing key tackles. Marcus May not even really able to get on the field sometimes, things like that. Like there was a lot of stuff that didn't work early. But as the season continued to roll along and you saw both of these guys get more playing time, get more familiar with the system, and get more comfortable, you saw the play tick up. Again, only 20, less than 20 points or no more than 20 points allowed in the last eight games. And the explosive plays coming down against that defensive unit, all that, a lot of that has to do with safety play. A lot of times, like that San Francisco, or excuse me, the Seattle Seahawks game where Geno Smith was just eating them up, one of the prettiest uh, uh, deep throws in the NFL. A lot of that came down to a little bit of miscommunication between safety and cornerback. And listen, I could sit here and I could look at the film all day. What I don't know on a play-by-play basis is what people's responsibilities are. So that's one of the reasons why I am very, very uh, kind of cautious about being critical about defensive back play because I used to play DB. I knew what my responsibilities were when I played that role. No one else did. And so I would constantly have to explain to people, no, here's why this happened. Here's why that happened, blah, blah, blah. There are so many different responsibilities that a corner or that a safety will have on any given play that are not consistent down to one, two, and three. Similar to Cam Jordan's game of why he should be a top 10 defensive end. Okay, that's the last time I'm going to mention it. I almost promise. But when you look at Tyron Matthews 2023, or 2022, you can see where things made sense. Guy topped out at speeds of 19.9 miles an hour, nearly 20 miles an hour covered thousands and thousands and tens and thousands of yards of space. But one of the things that I think will stand out the most when it comes to sort of quantifying his performance is by looking at defensive EPA, or rather the offensive EPA when he was targeted and when he was involved in plays. So let me explain that. When I talk about EPA, what we're discussing is expected points on average, right? So what we're looking at there is sort of, you know, how successful is a play based on how many points it could potentially yield that offense. So there's two ways to look at this, especially on the defensive side. You want to be on the negative side of this. So you want to be driving the EPA down, okay? You don't want it to be up high. For Tyron Matthew, you rank him along guys like Kevin Byard and Jesse Jesse James, Ross, Jesse Bates, um, Derwin James. That's where I got the James from. Uh, And of course, Marcus Williams, formerly of the New Orleans Saints. Tyron Matthew is the only player, only safety amongst that group of some of the top safeties in the NFL to finish the season with a negative EPA force. In fact, he forced more than 200 plays this year that resulted in negative EPA for the opposing offense than he allowed positive plays for the opposing offense. That's special football. And and keep in mind that is amongst him playing over a thousand snaps, according to pro football focus. So it's not like he wasn't out on the field. It's not like he wasn't, you know, it's not like a situation where it's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he finished with a negative EPA, but he was only out there for 500 snaps. No, fam. He was out there for 
a lot of snaps, 1,149 snaps on the season. Just absolutely insane. Came up with a ton of clutch plays, uh, grades very highly in, in coverage scores and ball skill scores, all of that. Um, that's exactly what you want from a guy like Tyron Matthew. Three interceptions on the season, five passes broken up as well. He also forced a fumble and recovered a fumble. I mean, and he had a sack. I mean, this guy was helping all over the place. He was all, and he also had an individual QB hit that wasn't a part of, of, of those sacks. Targeted 33 times this year, didn't allow a ton and had all the, you know, had eight different pass breakups. I mean, that's solid football from Tyron Matthew. And look, Marcus May didn't get out on the field as much, right? We can, we can talk about that. And, and, and he's got a potential three, four game suspension facing him going into 2023 due to the uh, still yet to be settled or wrapped up DUI situation back when he was with the Jets before he signed with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, but I mean, he had a solid season as well. He had, uh, uh, he was targeted. He had, was, he had uh, two different pass breakups on just over a handful of targets, which means that he wasn't targeted very much, which is a good thing. Forced a fumble as well in a clutch situation. I mean, these guys played solid football and they played all over the field. Tyron Matthew playing split safety, middle of the field, in the box, in the slot, 4% of snaps at corner as well. Uh, Marcus May, middle of the field, split safety, in the slot. And it also had snaps uh, in the box. Didn't take any snaps out at corner. But these are guys that you were able to move all around. And remember, that's the big thing, big thing that Dennis Allen was super excited about with having this tandem of safeties available to them, was their ability to be able to move them around. But then you had a bunch of injuries in the secondary. So thank goodness you had that versatility from Tyron Matthew. Now imagine a world in 2023 where the entire starting secondary is out there for, uh, gosh, at least a game. And what that means for Tyron Matthew and Marcus May to be able to fully play their responsibilities in a system in which they are a lot more comfortable in 2023 than they were at the beginning of 2022. And you're going to need that play. You're going to need that play because limiting explosive plays in the NFL, especially explosive passing plays in the NFL, are, is one of the biggest and most direct ways to keep points off the board. You look at a team like the Cleveland Browns, the Saints played last year and beat they had explosive plays on 80% of their scoring drives, 8-0, 80% of their scoring drives in 2023, 2022, excuse me. And then they played against the New Orleans Saints and barely had any opportunity for explosive plays, A, because of the weather, but also because the defense was stout and the Saints kept the, kept the, hand, kept the ball in the hands of their offense. That's what the New Orleans Saints want to be in 2023. They want to extend their drives. They want to dominate uh, time of possession. They want to be able to move the ball through the air, increase their own explosive plays because they were tied with Pittsburgh, I believe it was 52 for one of the lowest uh, rankings in the NFL. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that Pittsburgh had a single touchdown. Maybe they, only, they they didn't have more than five touchdowns outside of ten yards of the line of scrimmage uh, or of the um, not the line of scrimmage. I'm sorry, the goal line last year. And that's who the Saints were kind of tied with. Not great over on the offensive side. And so now you have this with the New Orleans Saints on the defensive side that will help to aid all of that. Keep the ball, get the ball back in the hands of the offense. Offense is extending the drives, defense is stout, all that. If you're eliminating the explosive plays, you're winning games, right? Or at least you're putting yourself in position for your offense to win games. But your offense has to be able to produce as well, which wasn't the case last year, should be the case this year. That makes all the difference in the world. All right. So that's why I think that the safeties are going to be integral to the New Orleans Saints' success in 2023. Final thing that I want to mention here is uh, the New Orleans Saints bringing in a uh, new analyst that they've added to the team. This is a former Jets analyst, uh, Zach Stewart, who they brought in. And this is, I think this is big for New Orleans. New Orleans really, really leans in on 
uh, analytics without doing it in such a way that could be of detriment. See uh, Brandon Staley in the Los Angeles Chargers for an example of that, where maybe like analytics, leaning too far into analytics can kind of get in the way. The Saints have done a good job of balancing all that. They were one of the first teams, if not, actually they were the first team to ever integrate with the RFID technology of Zebra Technologies to be able to track practice participation and things like that, keep their players healthy, keep their players from being overworked. Uh, you know, they brought in Matt Rea last year, who has a big time science approach to uh, health and, um, and and sports science approach. And that helped to drastically reduce the soft tissue injuries, didn't help the injuries as a whole, but hey, help the soft tissue injuries, which are the big ones um, and the ones that you can control. So now you bring in a guy like Zach Stewart, who I know is coming from the Jets. And so you go, okay, well, what can someone from the Jets possibly bring the New Orleans Saints? If they're introducing something new, there's something to be brought there. And so that could be big for them. So it'll be interesting. Does that make the Saints more more uh, aggressive on fourth down? Does it make them more aggressive on on second and longs? Does it make them more aggressive on third and ones? Like, how does that change the game? So it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. But I do think that it's a good move for the New Orleans Saints to continue to explore that and figure out how they can begin to benefit from a good marriage of analytics, principle, and identity. If they can marry all three of those things into this big time triumvirate that could be big for what the New Orleans Saints look like in 2023. All right, y'all. Appreciate you everydayers for being here with us every single Monday through Friday. Don't forget we're back with you tomorrow, midweek fundamentals, as well as our nerdy numbers episode tomorrow. So we're going to take a look at the New Orleans Saints coverages, cover one, cover two, cover two man, cover three. What all did the New Orleans Saints play? Where were they most effective? Where were they least effective, both against the run and the pass? We're going to take a look at all of it in tomorrow's episode of Locked on Saints. So very, very excited to get nerdy with you again on another Midweek Fundamentals Wednesday. Appreciate you as always for making Locked on Saints a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me on the show. As always, if you see me, say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you that nation, I'll holla at you.